Often we can think the cross is just so mystical, we can't do anything about it, it's hidden from them. And in a sense it is, but it has a natural explanation. And I've gone through this so many times, and I think the first revelation that came to me was in September 1982, sitting at my desk. And that is, if you say to a man, I'm, giving, I'm paying a fine because you've been speeding. He's going to say, what are you talking about? I don't need a fine. I'm, I'm just doing what I want here. But no. if you instead, because it's going to be foolishness, it won't make sense, a fine being paid when he doesn't realize he's transgressed the law. If you instead say you have violated the law, you went through a blind children's convention at, at uh, 60 miles an hour when it said 10 miles an hour, you have transgressed the law horribly, there's a $100,000 fine for it, I paid it for you. Now he can understand that gift. Now he can understand it as good news because he's seen his transgression. So the world can't see the transgression because they don't want to. The preaching of the cross will be foolishness to them. But once they're confronted with their sin, they've transgressed God's law, that they need a substitute, then the cross is no longer foolishness. It's the power of God to salvation. Mm. And so we don't need to stand back and say, well, I preached Christ crucified. They didn't understand it. The aim of every gospel preacher is to bring understanding in the heart of his hearers. Amen. Not just to preach a message, sow the seed, but make sure they understand because the good soil hearer is he who hears and understands. And that's mm. why Philip the Evangelist said to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? Mm. And so that's our aim as Christians, to proclaim Christ crucified, but proceed it with the law of God to bring the knowledge of sin so the preaching of the cross is no longer foolishness, but the power of God to salvation. If you'd like to get a job, please apply to Easy Kebab. That's an actual restaurant. You guys know that, right? Easy Kebab. Where did you find that? I saw the picture when you sent it to Uh, us. Dave, the brave Jesus slave, our IT uh, professional here, uh, sent me a picture of this restaurant in Costa Mesa. Is that where it's at? Yeah, Easy Kebab. Are you going to go check it out? Lebanese street food. I've got to check it out. We'll never hear the end of this. There's nothing by the name. Ray Comfort, why are you filming me? (laughs) This is... <laughs> the live stream. Did you yeah. like my yeah. uh, yeah. seriously? My taglines for your restaurant. You should clean the lens. What? <laughs> Pretty dirty. What was it? What's the tagline? The tagline: Easy kebab, where everything tastes like beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> You're, are you still harassing me <laughs> for my what? What is it? Your uh, medium well. Medium well. Medium well. Yeah. Medium well. Well. No, mm. the, you know uh, a steak properly prepared is more of a between a medium rare and a medium. Yeah. Right around that's okay. A who's a judge steak. of properly prepared? Chefs. World yeah. renowned <laughs> chefs. Lance. 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 I actually know him. You. Would you like me I to I want text my him meat now? cooked. I watched Lance's episode yesterday, by the way, Did on you? Chopped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, so good. Had done? Where he wins the whole thing and then he gives the money yeah. to the runner up. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah the backstory is uh, we have a dear friend, Lance, who is a. I, he doesn't like it when I say this, but he's a world-renowned yeah. chef. He won Chopped, and then as a sous chef, he won an episode of Iron Chopped America. He's, wor- yeah. he's almost close to getting his Michelin certification, isn't he? I know he's on route to get something like that. He teaches at the Culinary Institute in New York, one of the most prestigious culinary schools in the entire world. Yeah. And so the Chopped episode, he wins, but in kind of the intro, one of the ladies says that if she wins the $10,000, she's going to go see her grandma in Italy because she's dying. And so Lance wins the episode. and well, uh, He wins the money. He wins that. <laughs> yeah, he wins, the, he wins first place. He wins the money. And in front of the judges, he, he says, hey, I'm going to give it to her. I want her to go see her, yeah. Isn't that her like dying oh, grandma. I love it. What a testimony. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Great guy. What was cool was when we did the episode, the cooking episode at mm-hmm. the Pertels, 
And uh, was he? Did he put like soy sauce on the ice cream? On the or? ice cream? Yeah. I went salty. What? What is soy sauce on ice cream? Forget it. Yeah. He did it. I tried it, and I went. <laughs> the reason why you're the chef. Yeah. The reason why you get to decide that a perfectly cooked steak. It's too is bad he doesn't know that medium rare well, ice cream and soy sauce cooked no, steak. And, forget and, it. There's no rules with cooking. You can have anything with anything. I'm not going to eat my meat with the blood. See, here's I'm the biblical. Other, here's the other uh, taglines for Easy's restaurant. Uh, Easy kebab. Need it to go? We'll wrap it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Drop it, yo. And then my favorite is tasteless food for a tasteless age. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Pay cut. <laughs> Does that sound awesome? Easy wheezy. Yeah. No, but I got to try it. You guys know my dream is one day to have a Lebanese restaurant. That I would be my ultimate dream. Oh, boy. You guys are in trouble. Six for six of the hairy chase. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, what I would, would be love the name to do that. your Lebanese restaurant? Easy Lebanese um, restaurant. Yeah, easy schleasy. <laughs> easy schleasy. I would love it for the main purpose of getting retribution on all those that give bad service. I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but since COVID... Things have just gone down the drain with service. It's it's Certain terrible. Places, yeah. Have you guys noticed that? Everywhere. It's crazy. One of my pet peeves is now a lot of servers will have like their iPads with them and they're taking your order. The problem with that though is that there's no eye contact. There's no like relational communication. They're just like robots like, uh-huh, what else? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. They don't look, they don't smile, they don't have a conversation, they don't ask how your day is. Yeah. I don't think that's a very good experience. Could you stop yeah. by saying I'm a big tipper? Well, I'll take that any day over the uh, server that tries to act like they're going to memorize your whole order. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to write this down? (laughs) Oh, seriously. I think they think they're impressing you. They're not impressing me. Because, especially when you're. Yeah, because, you know, you got five people. Okay, I have no onions. Other person, yeah, put extra this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they go away, and it, it almost is without fail that they mess it up. When I was trained at a restaurant, the trainer that trained me, they actually sent us away to a restaurant. No, it was not as nice as that. It was Mimi's Cafe is where I met my wife. But the the, um, trainer had said when she grew up, her father would take her to different restaurants and would bring a big old stack of $1 bills, would have them set on the table, (laughs) and then would say to the server when the server would come up, listen, uh, as of right now, this stack of ones belong to me. The whole pile is in my pile. You have nothing in your pile. (laughs) You are getting paid by this establishment to take my order. You're not going to be tipped to be taking my order. You're being paid by the establishment to deliver my food, to fill up my water, to clear the plates. (laughs) Anytime you go above and beyond the act and call of duty, I'm going to move a dollar bill from my pile into your pile. (laughs) And you can make as much money as you want to make. No by the end way. of this time. Are you serious? We, yep. we used to do the opposite to a cousin of mine who worked at a restaurant. We would start out with a bunch of wands on the table, and anytime we saw him do the slightest thing wrong, we'd take, it away from <laughs> him. We'd take a one away from him. That's I funny. like that method better. But what's server short for? Server? Hmm. Short for? Servant. Ooh. That's what they should be, your servant. That's yeah. why you're there. And you know, they get to... your feet. No. Oh. <laughs> Remember, Mark, Was it? it was Japan where they don't, Accept tips. It's yeah. an insult. Switzerland, and Germany. A... There's actually quite Seriously? a bit. Yeah, there's quite a bit of uh, cultures that it's it's rude to tip. It's like it's like saying you don't get paid enough. I love those cultures. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, because everyone wants a tip now. You know, you go somewhere, you're just at like a checkout stand. It's like tip jar. You know, and 
I mean, it's it's gotten crazy. Since we're talking about bad servers, there's also yeah. such a thing as a bad customer. I remember when I, I, I worked for three months at a pizza shop before I was a Christian in high school. I hated every moment of it. I was a terrible, I was terrible at it too. But there was a Christian bookstore around the corner and the owners used to come in and they were the worst customers. They really? were rude, demanding, Was it cr- Christian or religious? They are Christian. That's Sunshine true. Bookstore. They're where not around anymore. Give us the address. Yes, it is uh, <laughs> his name and where he lives and his social security number. So here's the thing is I, you know, we as Christians are being a witness when we sit down and we're being served by somebody. Um, one of the things I love, one of our, our partners took me out to, to lunch in North Carolina and the server came around. We ordered our drinks and he says to them, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you for while we're praying for our food? Yeah. And I, she started crying, talking about like a health issue that her family member was going uh-huh. through. And so I started to do that with, with servers now. I, I loved that practice. Uh, and then, of course, tipping really well is a good practice. Or when you even bring as, in the gospel, go through the commandments when you pray. Uh, leave it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of that, even as simply as like, I try to make sure I know my server's name, you know, I'll, and then I'll address them by name whenever we need help or want to thank them because that goes a long way. It certainly does. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's yeah, a big no, deal. No, yeah. no, no, yeah, 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 no, 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 But, but I, I have, I have seen that. I mean, even here at Living Waters, our the service our, has gotten bad, <laughs> real bad. But no, our poor CSRs. I mean, they'll get calls from people that order tracts, and and they will like ream them because something went wrong or get real rude, you know. And we have to remember that, you know, we we are always on duty as believers representing the Lord. Amen. And it's convicting for me because there's times I, I feel like I'm getting worked up, something's not going my way. But you, you're you really, here's, here's what you're weighing out. My displeasure, this person's soul for mm-hmm. all eternity. Right. I mean, seriously, if you look at it that way, it squelches a lot of things. And it doesn't mean we don't have to address things or whatever, but What's the priority? You yeah. know, that's you key. said something really good in a meeting the other day. Really? I know this is kind of off track. I know Ooh, I was, sh- I was shocked. I fell out of my chair, which is why surprise. I should mention it. But you said something about like something about our, our our character or our trust in the Lord is truly revealed when things don't go our way. Yeah. Do you remember saying that? I think so. Maybe it wasn't you. No, it definitely was you. <laughs> no, but I thought that yeah. stood out to me. Like you're absolutely right. When plans don't go our way, or when somebody makes a decision that that isn't what we thought was the right decision, like truly our trust in the Lord and his sovereignty and his character is revealed when we're tested in that kind of way. Yeah. Are we going to respond with anger and, and whatnot? Or are we going to respond with grace and humility? And understanding? Someone once said, scratch a saint and you'll find a sinner. Ooh. Amen. Ooh. Right. Ah! <laughs> Great comfort. Yeah. All right, friends, there you have it. A tutorial on how to treat people at Easy Kebab. All right. <clears throat> comment. This is from... Kathleen Avonlea. Maybe you should practice this. (laughs) He just sees his name in the comments. He's like, that's the one. I'm just trying to see how Kathleen's going to respond when she hears her name botched. Amazing podcast. I can't believe I didn't know that Ray Comfort has a podcast. This is a really great show, and I've only listened to two episodes so far. They discuss difficult topics with equal parts, gravity, and humor, and I really like it. Keep doing the Lord's work. It's oh. not my podcast. <laughs> Ray, Ray, what, Ray, what podcast is that she's talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, friends, this friend of ours here, Kathleen, is saying she didn't know about the Ray Comfort podcast, the Living Waters <laughs> podcast. 
because maybe people aren't telling other people. So tell a friend about the podcast. Telephone. Telephone. Kathleen, thanks for listening. Thank you, Kathleen. All right, friends. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by the Living Waters podcast mugs. Official. Yeah, I'm going to sip from mine right now. Listen. Oh, seriously, that almost went down the wrong way. Make sure to get them, friends. And don't forget the evidence study Bible. At nothing sh- nothing shows me my frailty is liquid going down the wrong pipe. Oh, that's the worst. How is that even possible yeah. to do? Well, that's it's, it's the epiglottis is being lukewarm. Yeah. It's not doing its thing. It's not supposed to block job. the lungs when it goes down the stomach. Yeah. Uh, and real quick, these mugs are limited supply. We only ordered 150. And uh, to put that in perspective, last week we had almost 40,000 downloads. Mm. So I have a feeling these mugs are going to go quickly. We hope you get one of them because uh, we will not be ordering more of these. We're going to be, this is kind of round one and then round two. Who knows what it'll look like? Yeah. Get the next ten. round could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. All right, friends. Today we are taking a closer look at the crucifixion. Of Christ. I uh, was thinking about how it can become so kind of common to us when we think about the cross. You know, time separates you sometimes from the significance of certain realities. And to me, the cross evokes certain emotions. It, it evokes a, a certain type of sentiment or reaction in me, you know. But I'm trying to more and more put myself in the shoes of the, the early disciples and all the ramifications that were associated with it. I mean, I'm just trying to think of the first time it finally dawned on the disciples mm. that those scenes that they would sometimes witness in the arena of first century Israel were going to become associated with the person that they loved most on this planet, you know? Because obviously we know that the disciples didn't get it at times. Jesus would be talking about the cross and they would just, it just went over their heads. Right. Like they, you know, again, they were looking. So often. Yeah. They were looking for a political Messiah. Yeah. That was the mindset back then. You're going to deliver us from Rome, yeah. you know? And, and, and that kind of played a part in their perspective on who was going to be the greatest, right? They're thinking, man, power and ruling and versus, no, no, we're talking about a crucified savior for whom you're going to suffer mm-hmm. as well. And so, so I want us to, to kind of take a look at the crucifixion, look at different aspects of it. I, I know all of us have come with probably different things and different angles, but I want us to dive deep into it and, and examine it. What about you guys? When you think of the cross, do you automatically associate with self-crucifixion? Do you think of, I need to go preach this to the world? Uh, does it magnify the love of God in your heart? Um, you nailed it. Thank you, AZ. Oh, nailed it. Yeah, no, I didn't Too mean soon. that. <laughs> did you not? No, I didn't. Okay. But you really nailed it. You did. That's exactly what the cross is, all those things. Let me read something I read from a very wise man. We can no more separate Christ from the cross than can separate light from the sun. The cross is the light of the gospel. From it shines the brilliance of God's love for dying sinners. Christianity has nothing and is nothing without the cross. We're to cling to it, derive our comfort from it, have joy because of it, and stubbornly preach it, because it is the means by which sinners pass from death to life. Who said Ooh. that, Ray? I wrote that this morning for my <laughs> Did you really? Twitter, yeah. yeah. I'm tweeting every day now, and uh, I'm just absolutely loving it. Really? Yeah, because we've, we've we're allowed to send more words in the tweet. Oh, you got that thing. expanded. I got that. You got that expanded yeah. thing. So tweeting every day. Oh, it's so good, Ray. A tweet a day keeps the doctor away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I love what James Montgomery Boyce said. The yes. cross stands. <laughs> the cross stands as the focal point of the Christian faith. Without the cross, the Bible is an enigma, mm. and the gospel of salvation is an empty hope. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think that for me, whenever I'm in the position of being faced with temptation, the cross has been oftentimes the thing that dissuades me from getting into that sin, mm. you know, because you can't disassociate who we are as Christians from what it was that made us Christians. And then when we're sinning, that's one of the things I talk about in my book, you know, one of the principles is dealing with the things that should keep us from sin. And, and, it, and it's, you know, the realization of when we sin, we're sinning in the shadow of the cross, We're sinning as we sit at the foot of the cross, and we're saying, in essence, what you did, Jesus, doesn't really mean anything. Trample it underfoot. Yeah, I'm going to trample your blood underfoot. I'm going to spurn, you know, what you did for me. That's why I cry out. I cry out. Nope, and think of you. Nope, not one (laughs) peak even. Yeah, boy, so much comes to mind, and and almost certainly one of the first things that come to mind when I think of the cross is Jesus crying out, "My God." my God, why have you forsaken me? There's so much. I mean, we can do an entire podcast on just those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one of the first things that comes to mind for me on those words is just how real of a moment it is. You know, Bruce Shelley in his book, uh, Church History in Plain Language, which is one of my favorite books on church history. Absolutely love it. Highly recommend Mm. it. Um, Mm. He Mm. opens the book like this. Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central event the humiliation of its God. Mm. And I've heard apologists talk, kind of dive into that and and focus on the reality that, you know, if you're going to go and you're going to create a religion, if you're going to make up a a story, you don't put at the center of it the crucifixion of God. Yeah. Right? Like all the other religions, the, the central figure dies whimsically and magically with some wise words. And here is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's just, it's so real. It, it, it lands the plane in regards to what Christ did for us and why he came to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And it makes no sense for the disciples, you know, to invent a story, right, that has paired with it the resurrection, Mm -hmm. because that means that he died needlessly, because if he didn't really rise again, the death meant nothing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so it's at that point that they would cast off Christianity. It's at that point where they would realize, oh, there's a price to pay for this thing. Being in a day and age where the entire population of Jews are against you, or the Roman government is against you, there's no incentive for Mm -hmm. wanting to live a life like that. You know what I'm saying? They're not garnering followers in a context where it's a glorious thing to, you know, have someone who was crucified. It's it's a death sentence, you know? Just like yesterday when I was, uh, or on one of the podcasts where I was talking about 1 Corinthians 13, we're talking about love, and I was so moved as I'm like, if you think this was the, the devising of man, you're crazy. You know, because you see God's fingerprints all over his divine revelation in the word, you know. Here's the other thing that my God, my God does 
is it forces us to be confronted with the reality of God being just. Because there are some people that look at the cross and go, it's a great symbolic representation of sacrifice. The cross is is a, a great representation of love. And those things are true, but it is also a witness to the judgment and wrath of God. And that is a very important detail of the cross as we go to proclaim the gospel. You know, Jesus doesn't say, my feet, my feet, they've mm. been nailed to the cross. My hands, my hands, my side, my side, my head with this crown of thorns. He says, my God, because as much as the physical suffering matters greatly, the thing that crushes Jesus is the wrath of God yeah. that was due to us. Yeah. A lot of people don't like to look at it from that angle, <gasps> right? Yeah, it something? shows how serious God is about sin, the cross. For mm. therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It shows the extreme, the length, the expense God went to so we could be forgiven, so we could be justified. And the, you're talking about how could man devise something like the gospel. That cross is known by almost everyone on earth, but it's hidden at the same time. Mm. Uh-huh. They haven't got a clue what it's about. Jesus mm-hmm. on the cross, suffering for the sin of the world, still don't understand it. How many times have we said to someone on camera, what can that cross do for you in your dilemma and heading for hell 2,000 years later? And they say, I don't know. Oh. It's hidden from them until they understand their sin yeah. and that it was a substitute. The, the, word of the, cross, uh, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, right? There's that element of, of foolishness and a lack of understanding. Yes, Ray, you yeah, have a question? Thank you. I'd just like to say, often we can think the cross is just so mystical, we can't do anything about it, it's hidden from them. And in a sense it is, but it has a natural explanation. And I've gone through this so many times, and I think the first revelation that came to me was in September 1982, sitting at my desk. And that is, if you say to a man, I'm, giving, I'm paying a fine because you've been speeding. He's going to say, what are you talking about? I don't need a fine. I'm, I'm just doing what I want here. But no. if you instead, because it's going to be foolishness, it won't make sense, a fine being paid when he doesn't realize he's transgressed the law. If you instead say you have violated the law, you went through a blind children's convention at, at uh, 60 miles an hour when it said 10 miles an hour, you've transgressed the law horribly, there's a $100,000 fine for it. I paid it for you. Now he can understand that gift. Now he can understand it as good news because he's seen his transgression. So the world can't see the transgression because they don't want to. The preaching of the cross will be foolishness to them. But once they're confronted with their sin, they've transgressed God's law, that they need a substitute, then the cross is no longer foolishness. It's the power of God to salvation. Mm. And so we don't need to stand back and say, well, I preached Christ crucified. They didn't understand it. The aim of every gospel preacher is to bring understanding in the heart of his hearers. Not just to preach a message, sow the seed, but make sure they understand because the good soil hearer is he who hears and understands. And that's Mm. why Philip the Evangelist said to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? Mm. And so that's our aim as Christians to proclaim Christ crucified but proceed it with the law of God to bring the knowledge of sin so the preaching of the cross is no longer foolishness, but the power of God to salvation. Amen, amen, right? That's so good. You know, Mark, when when we think about it theologically, when you mention blood, right, just just that in and of itself. I remember when I was in high school, I I used to wear Christian t-shirts, and there was that one that has Jesus like bench pressing the cross oh, yeah. and it says his pain, your gain. Living epistle. That's right. That's Gary Ansdell, yes. the pastor that brought you here from New Zealand. So before I knew you or him, I was wearing that shirt. And I remember one time my my science teacher who was 
evidently an atheist. Uh, he looks at my shirt and he just, he had the most disgusting look on his face. And he looks at me and he goes, how morbid, <laughs> how morbid. That's true. And right. But Mark, blood, why, why is blood significant? Because Christ could have died a bloodless death, right? But, yeah. but well, blood without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Right. The, the economy of God is put together with the most precious thing that we have. There's life in the blood. Mm. If you're sick, we can tell that you're sick by just examining the blood. No. You consider what R.C. Sproul said. He said, the sweetest fragrance, the most beautiful aroma that God has ever detected emanating from this planet, it was the aroma of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that was offered once and for all mm. on the cross. Wow. What, what, what a beautiful uh, picture of what took place 2,000 years ago. You know, in the Old Testament, it would be the shedding of innocent animals, and when Jesus enters onto the scene, we see John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Uh, we, we've talked about it before, but in the Old Testament, when there was a sacrifice, it would cover the sins of the people, but that sin eventually had to be dealt with. Yeah. And this is why it is so significant when Jesus enters onto the scene, because he didn't cover our sin, he removed mm. our sin, which gives us that free access into the Holy of Holies to have fellowship with God himself. Mm. So yeah, the blood is very, very precious. Not the physical blood, mind you. There's nothing precious, and John MacArthur came underneath the microscope for this many years ago, and he had to give an account for this. There's nothing supernatural or spiritual about the physical blood itself, but what it represented and what it did mm. by the shedding of it for our stead. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm glad you, you cited that, Mark. That was Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And this is how God designed it. Obviously, under the old covenant, those things were a foreshadowing of the, the ultimate sacrifice that God was going to make. And it just mystifies people when you start getting into this. Because I think ultimately man is so proud that he doesn't want to have another be his sacrifice. He he wants to merit his own salvation, you know, and God humbles us all through the cross. Have you heard of Sherlock and the Bond? Who Shakespeare, what? Sherlock and the Bond? No. It's a Shakespearean play which a man was mm. in debt and he owed money and the guy says, okay, you don't pay me money, just give me a pound of flesh. Ooh. Your flesh. Wow. That'll satisfy me. It's the only thing that would satisfy him. I go and, right for the fatty part of my yeah. belly. <laughs> <laughs> Lose some weight while you're at yeah, it, right? Lost a pound. <laughs> but the only thing that will satisfy God is the shed blood of Christ. Nothing we can offer can satisfy mm. his anger against sin. You can say, oh, I'll shed my blood. I'll give my life. That won't atone for your sins. No. You can give your body to be, body to be burned. That won't um, atone for your sins. Only thing that could atone is the blood of the lamb, the mm. perfect sinless lamb. Yeah. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He said, leave out the cross and you have killed the religion of Jesus. Atonement by the blood of Jesus is not an arm of Christian truth. It is the very heart of it. Oh, that's beautiful. Spurgeon, man, don't you wish you could just kind of speak like Spurgeon? Oh. I, I've i never been moved by somebody as much as Spurgeon has, and I, I'd i love to hear what he sounds like. We've talked about that. Yeah. It's probably very high-pitched. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Let's hit on the point, Spirit! <laughs> yeah, that would be so funny. Seriously. I have a question for you. It would be funny. Yeah. 
Are you uh, are you trying to land airplanes over here? <laughs> you like With all these screens? Wait till I get on. my four more. Screens. Like every episode, there's another screen. Oh yeah, they're they're multiplying. You know, I think sometimes too we forget the the humility aspect of the cross. Jerry Bridges said. It is at the cross where God's law and God's grace are both most brilliantly displayed, where his justice and his mercy are both glorified. But it is also the cross where we are most humbled. It is at the cross where we admit to God and to ourselves that there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn or merit our salvation. And that humility is key, Ray. You've talked about that before uh, in terms of how to really come in the way of humility. You've got you've to stoop. You've got to stoop, you know, and, and the atheists and, and those that claim to be the intellectually superior ones aren't willing to do that. Uh, the, the door of salvation is very, very low. We hold on to pride. I mean, pride is just such a ridiculous thing when mm. you think about it. Why don't we apologize to our wife when we have an argument? Pride. Hmm. It's ugly. A man will let his marriage break in two and destroy his family and his kids rather than humble himself and apologize to God, oh. apologize to them and to God. So the Bible says God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, and the door of, door of salvation is, is very low, as the scriptures say. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, think about what God did in describing the sacrifice of Christ back in Isaiah, mm. the most popular messianic text, Isaiah 53, and I want to look at verses four to six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all." Man, it's hard to read that without getting moved, you know? Ray, you've read this countless times, the poetic power and beauty in this, you know, that, that there are some who would even say, no, no, this doesn't refer to the Messiah. Who in the world would it refer to? Yeah, they said it refers to national Israel. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, the question is, why do we glory in the cross? We're Christians. We're talking about the cross, an execution instrument. Mm -hmm. It's because it's the means by which we were granted everlasting life. Mm. I mean, I can't say that loud enough. I'd like to write it across the sky and say it in thunder. Oh. God has granted everlasting life because of the cross, because of those words, it is finished, the debt is paid, tetelestai or tetelestai, hmm. paid in full. What an incredible thing. Oh. I can never find an analogy that fits, you know, the world rejecting what we have in Christ is like, it's like nothing. It's insane. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. That, yeah. uh, that we've found everlasting life and we spend our whole lives shouting up in street corners, not allowed on secular television, not allowed on secular radio to talk about the fact that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because of pride. They're offended by the name of Jesus. Wow. They don't want to humble themselves. What was it that your high school teacher said? How morbid. Morbid. He's right. It oh. is morbid. And, and you know what? The early Christians knew exactly what they were doing when they chose the cross as a representation of their faith. Because like you just pointed out, it was a torture instrument. It would be like us today choosing the electric chair, yeah. you know, or a symbolism of the gas chamber. It was morbid. But, but listen, that's a wonderful, that's exactly why it's such a wonderful representation of our faith, because it was a constant reminder to them what the cost was for 
God to save us. And I think the cross is so often used today in like every single, you know, brand marketing piece that every single Christian organization or church uses that it's lost its luster. It's just kind of, it's just kind of the cross. Hmm. But when the early Christians used it, it was a torture device and it was a reminder to them of the cost that was paid for their salvation. Oh, you're going to be happy about this because the Pope has given portions of the original cross to the English to have at the beginning of the procession of the coronation of Prince Stop. King Are Charles. Are you serious? Yeah, it's going to be right up the front, little bits of the cross they've still got, and Peter's toenail, I think. <laughs> um, and Peter's why, toenail. Why, why does Scripture speak of the offense of the cross? I remember I was going to Australia once, had someone sitting next to me, and they said, what do you do for a job? I said, I write books. And the guy said, wow, what sort of books? I said, Christian. He said, yuck. That was in the, <laughs> in the same breath. Wow. And it's because of the offense of the cross. People are offended at the gospel. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Yeah, and more and more so, you know, it, it, it is interesting how one symbol that represents something glorious to one group can represent something horrendous to another, mm. you know? I mean, Ray, you kind of touch on this like when you talk about... Like overcooked steak. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Ray, when you talk about it, when you touch on, you know, like police officers, yes. uh, the last thing a criminal wants to see is a police officer. You know, the the first thing that someone who's been assaulted by a criminal wants to see is a police officer, yeah. you know? And so... So it is with the cross, when you have spent your life spurning it, uh, living in a manner that demonstrated animosity toward it, the last thing you want to do is see it for what it really is. You know? Well, you'd think the Saul, Saul of Tarsus conversion on the road to Damascus, which would have hit the headlines, would have been so powerful it would have converted like the whole world. Mm. This is Saul of Tarsus killing Christians, suddenly saying Jesus is Lord. But no, the exact opposite happened. They want to kill him yeah. right from the beginning. He was a basket case. They put him in a basket and load him down. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Oscar, you're, you're kind of touching on that, the, the association with the cross. I mean, that really started with Jesus, right? Matthew 16, 24. Mm. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then you see how that bears out. You look at Galatians 2.20 and Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And that says, I've taken up my cross. I'm now identifying with him. I've been cru- crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this <laughs> is my, my favorite part, who loved me yeah. and gave himself for me, yeah. who loved me. You know, Mark, we can't disassociate the cross from love. That's right. 
you know? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, well, I wanted to comment, go back a little bit of what you just said before we get into that. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot, she said to be a follower of the crucified Christ, it means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. Hmm. And then Vance Havner, he said, we need men of the cross with the message of the cross bearing the marks of the cross. What is typically missing from today's gospel message is a considering all that one may go through and encounter once you name the name of Christ. Once you become a Christian, there is a counting of the cost, what somebody will go through. And you think of the depths of what God had to go through in order to get man's attention, but to get a hold of man's soul, all that God had to go through, if there was any other way to get to heaven, then through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, then what is it? What, What is the story? It's what are we talking about here? If there was another way to get to heaven than through Jesus Christ, Jesus died in vain. He didn't need to have to come, but we see how severe our sin was, what an offense it was to God. Mm -hmm. And we see what God did because of his great love, exactly what you're talking about here. John Wenham, he said, at the heart of the story stands the cross of Christ, where evil did its worst and met its match. Oh. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. Who's that quote from, Mark? That one? Excuse me, uh, from John Wenham. <clears throat> wow. I, I love that you brought up Galatians too, because it, it helps us distinguish what the great exchange is, because the great exchange is, is, a, is a double. It's, a, it's an act of two, not just one. You see, when we talk about, as, as you did a great job, Ray, when we talk about the idea of us being pardoned, from our sins. That's the first exchange, right? It is us who builds up the wrath of God through our actions between what we do and the denial of the glory of God. And it is Jesus who pays that fine in full. That's the first exchange. But we also can't forget about the second substitute, mm-hmm. which is we receive his righteousness. Amen. You see, it's not enough to talk about the cross and only talk about the pardoning of sinners. You're right, man, that is really important and we need to be, we need pardoning, right? But once we are saved, we are not treated like pardoned sinners. We are then treated like sons and daughters of God in heaven. You go from being a pardoned sinner to receiving the medal of honor. As Galatians 2 says, in Christ, right? And so in other words, like think about it like this. Jesus obeyed God perfectly. And what happened to him? He was cursed. Mm. We disobey God and we are blessed through what Christ mm. did for us. And what it does is when we when we see this as, as Luther would call the great exchange, this dual substitute, what it does is it frees us to live lives to the glory of God, not feeling like we need to pay off some debt, not fear that we're going to incur another wrath portion from God, but realizing that we are accepted, not of anything that we have done or will do, but simply on what Christ did on that cross. Mm. Amen. You know, I I love the fact that you mentioned uh, the great exchange and the attaining of the righteousness of Christ. Uh, and that that's Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's not just righteousness, it's perfect righteousness. It's imputed righteousness mm-hmm. given to those who don't deserve it. And that is why the Christian should live in perpetual 
rejoicing because we have received the greatest gift ever. I mean, aside from everlasting life, right? The thought that God would gift to us something that belonged to him, Mm -hmm. his righteous imparting that. And he's not imparting it to people that are like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pick that winner for my team. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Loser, loser, loser. Notice I pointed to the three of you. Thank you. (laughs) Loser, loser, loser. I'm gonna give you my perfect righteousness. I mean, Ray, one of my favorite lines of yours is when you talk about how it's not about how happy a sinner is. You say it's not about happiness, it's about righteousness. Righteousness. Yeah. Expound on that. I can't. Um, <laughs> what I want to say is what, what puts the cross on steroids, for want of a better word, is an understanding of who Jesus was and is. Yeah. Because so many, when I say God was manifest in the flesh, come back and say, no, no, Jesus was the Son of God. He's not God manifest in the flesh. And that's what the Bible says. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Mm. Jesus was the express image of the invisible God. So it's not a matter of God the Father pounding an innocent son, but God being in Christ, satisfying his love of righteousness, his love of justice, and expressing his love to sinners such as us. Mm. Yeah. And that's a great, that's actually a really good point because one of the big arguments you hear now, it's sort of like, it's one of those rhetorical things that you'll see pop up on social media, which is like the cross sounds like cosmic child abuse. Yeah. But the reason why that's wrong is because you're misunderstanding who Jesus was. Right. It was God himself taking on that punishment, taking on the wrath that we deserve. Yeah. Yeah. And think about what, what actually happened there. Colossians 2, 13 to 15, man, paints such a beautiful picture. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Mm-hmm. And then he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I mean, he took the, those decrees that were against us, the, 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 the document that entailed our sentence, and he took it and he nailed it with himself to the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, wiping out all of our, our trespasses, all of our sins, gone. The ultimate Wittenberg door. Ooh, yeah. Is that original, Ray? Yeah. Just happened. <laughs> um, I love... All, I love that you emphasized all our trespasses. Mm-hmm. This is key because we often think of the cross as the crucifixion as like the door that gets us into Christianity. We think like everything that we're talking about, the non-believer needs to hear. But this is something that we need to meditate on daily because it is the cross that saves us, but it is also the cross that keeps us. Mm. The cross is the thing that we depend on every single day of our lives when we are in Christ. Our need for the cross is never greater and never lesser than the day we are saved all the way until the day we die. Right now. Amen. Yeah, and, and think about the agony that the cross entailed. We, we can't lighten how much Christ suffered. You know, it wasn't this cakewalk of, okay, let me just go up there. I am God, so I, I can really sort of cast aside pain. No, he felt that pain. And, you know, crucifixion w- was just a cruel and barbaric form of, of execution, and intentionally so. 
we find it first emerging back in the 6th uh, century BC with the Persians when they were, I think one of the kings had crucified about 3,000 of his political opponents. But the Romans, it's been said, have really perfected it, right? I mean, they really turned it almost into an art of torture and torment. And I love what Got Question said in terms of describing it. It says, once the victim was fastened to the cross, all his weight was supported by three nails, which would cause pain to shoot throughout the body. The victim's arms were stretched out in a, such a way as to cause cramping and paralysis in the chest muscles, making it impossible to breathe unless some of the weight was borne by the feet. In order to take a breath, the victim had to push up with his feet. In addition to enduring excruciating pain caused by the nail in his feet, the victim's raw back would rub against the the rough upright beam of the cross. After taking a breath and in order to relieve some of the pain in his feet, the victim would begin to slump down again. This action put more weight on his wrists and again rubbed his raw back against the cross. However, the victim could not breathe in his lowered position. So before long, the torturous process would begin again. In order to breathe and to relieve some of the pain caused by the wrist nails, the victim would have to put more weight on the nail in his feet and push up. Then in order to relieve some of the pain caused by the foot nail, he would have to put more weight on the nails in his wrist and slump down. In either position, the torture was intense. Hmm. You'd be crying out for death. Yeah. And, and, you know, you think on top of all of that, one of the statements that Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many that have given their perspective and view on that. It's hard to really articulate what that entailed, but that was massive. You know, Christ, you know, echoing one of the Psalms there and, and just like, man, God, the father pouring his wrath out on the son and turning his face away, you know, that the, the, well, and think the about ramifications this, of that. Think about the significance of that. You know, if you're, if you're forsaken by a stranger or an enemy, it means nothing. But nothing hurts more than being forsaken by someone you love. And the closer that person is to you, the, the, the deeper the love is, the more painful the forsaking, right? Many of us know what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be abandoned by family, to be abandoned by a parent. That kind of abandonment hurts deeply. Think about that forsaking between the father and the son, the eternal forever Trinitarian relationship. The son was in the bosom of the father. This is a love deeper than we could ever possibly imagine. And it is, and it is that love that is forsaken for you, for you. And you know, Mark, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to, I don't have time to read it because we're out of time, but I, I do want to commend to people if they want to see a more detailed account of the physical act of what Jesus went through. You, you had read uh, from Got Questions, but there was a doctor named C. Truman Davis. He actually posted inside of a medical journal. It's called uh, the Arizona Medical Volume Chapter 22, or Volume 22, rather. And he goes through this whole list of everything that Jesus went through. And I read it and I was just at the point of tears. So I just uh, want to commend that if yeah. somebody wants to uh, uh, see that. Yeah, we can add it to our show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, Mark, I just wanted you to comment real quick, if you would, on, you know, people talk about the, the horrors of the cross and the torment and torture. Of course, that, that's massive. But when Christ was in Gethsemane, you know, and he was heading toward the cross, he, he asked the Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. I mean, that's where we have that famous passage, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
and he began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That's actually a medical term called mm-hmm. hematidosis, where you're so distressed, your blood capillaries burst in your head. And, and so, but, but what, what we were just touching on, the, the, the moment when God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus, he bore the sins of the world, that's probably where that distress was coming from, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, seeing a separation that he's never experienced before, before time was ever even created, which we're kind of handcuffed to, to some degree. Vance Havner said that when Jesus took the cup of the Father's wrath, he fully drank it until every drop was gone, and then he gave it back to us so that we could taste and see that he is good. We would not be able to taste and see that Jesus is good if Jesus never drank every drop from the wrath of the Father's cup. And he was, when he was separated, you know, you had quoted Psalm 22, verse one earlier, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? I, I believe that this would be that one area, mm-hmm. that one point of scripture, that no matter how much it is described to us, yeah. a million years from now, we'll never be able to understand what took place when Jesus was separated from the Father at that moment. Uh-huh. What kind of words, what kind of expressions, uh-huh. what kind of analogies, uh-huh. what can do service for us to understand. We'll never be able to get it. Yeah, and friends, this is why meditation is key for the Christian. We need to meditate upon the cross. We, we need to ponder what our Savior did. It's going to be fuel for righteousness, practical righteousness. We know we have positional righteousness in Christ, but we need to have that practical righteousness, life of obedience and holiness, which is unpopular today. Things are so mixed up with people understanding how that all works, you know, but, but it's biblical and it's key and it's right. And I just want to leave us with this final quote from uh, the Apostle Andrew, who we know from church history was crucified on a cross. And it says, as he was walking toward the cross, he said these words, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously I come to you, being a scholar of him which did hang on you, because I have always been your lover and yearned to to embrace you. And uh, we're going to end on that note, friends. uh, Make the cross the focal point of your life. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too, those of you who are listening. Just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters podcast.